Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. The saved will sing forever. Jesus saves. What an awesome song. And you're going to like this passage too. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. I entitled this sermon AFV. Now I know that sounds, you're going to see that on television for America's Funniest Videos. But from now on, when you see that, I hope you think of these three words, alive, forgiven, and victorious, because these verses state that. Verse 13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those that are watching online. I pray for those that are here that have never been saved. They don't know what real life is. Please open their eyes. Please let them see salvation is from you. And I pray for those who have been saved. Lord, forgive us for taking such a wonderful gift from you for granted. And on this Memorial Weekend, when we're reminded of what men and women have done for our freedom, may we be reminded even now what you have done for our freedom, spiritual freedom, our freedom from sin. God, thank you for your word. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1991, a Romanian woman fainted when she opened the door and saw her husband standing there. Now, according to the Romanian newspaper, it all started when a man named Negu choked on a fishbone, stopped breathing, and collapsed. Well, the family doctor, knowing Nagu's heart condition, didn't think twice about proclaiming the 71-year-old man dead of a heart attack. But three days later, grave diggers at the cemetery heard someone knock on wood. And they opened Nagu's coffin to find him surrounded by wilted flowers, but very much alive. And when Nagu r- arrived home, his wife fearing he was a ghost, barred him from spending the night at her house. It took Nagu three weeks to convince the authorities to cancel his death certificate from their registers. True story. Very much alive. Paul mentions in verse 12 how our baptism represents the fact that we have died to sin, we've been raised in Jesus Christ, and in that resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been saved through him. He mentions that we are now alive, we have been forgiven, and we are victorious. 
And so for a few moments, I want us to be reminded, even on this Memorial Weekend, it reminds us of our spiritual freedom. I didn't plan it this way. God planned it this way. We just happened to be here this weekend. But it's perfect time to think about what God has done. We have gone from death to life. You need to remember this. Now, if I were to tell you that I was going to go out to the Lubbock Cemetery or Rest Haven Cemetery and preach to the dead bodies there, you would probably think David has lost it. The fact is, I have lost it. You just don't know it yet. (laughs) And yet, did you know every time that we speak about Jesus to somebody who's not a Christian, we are talking to a person who is dead, dead spiritually. They're not just weak or ignorant or they're not just misguided. The scripture says they are dead spiritually. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. God told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the knowledge of the, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Well, I can remember as a kid reading that thinking, well, she took a bite of the, whatever fruit it was. We assume it was an apple, but we don't know that. But whatever the fruit was, when Adam and Eve ate it, I thought they'd drop dead. The reality is they did die. If you look in 2 Peter, you're going to find that we really are created in the image of God and we have a body, soul, and spirit. We're the only creation that has a relationship with God. God is spirit and we worship him in spirit and in truth, we have the capacity to know God. Animals do not know God like we know God. But they don't have the capacity. They, they have a body and they have a mind, emotions, and a will, but they don't have a spirit. We have a spirit. And we have the capacity to know God. And when Adam and Eve sinned and transgressed, broke God's law, they separated themselves They died in their spirit. The word death in the the scripture really talks about separation. It doesn't talk about ceasing to exist. When you die, your spirit and soul separate from your body. But you're still very much alive. Well, they died spiritually as a result of that. Their minds and their emotions and their will began to digress and die. And eventually they died in their body. And when a person sins, they separate themselves from God. They've died spiritually. And to be spiritually dead means to be separated from God. You don't have a relationship with him. And folks, if you die while you're still separated from God here on this earth, you're going to be forever separated from God. And so it's a very serious thing that people around us, we don't think of them as being dead spiritually. And when we think of the word dead, we think of cemeteries and funeral homes and burying people and cremating people and so forth. But dead means to be separated from God. In in 1992, there was a, in Los Angeles County, a parking control officer drove up and saw a brown El Dorado, El Dorado, El Dorado, I grew up in El Dorado, El Dorado Cadillac, uh, illegally parked. And so they, he pulled up behind him and began to write out a citation. Walked up to the car, the window was down, didn't even speak to the driver, just stuck a citation inside the, on the dash of the car. The man inside the car, the driver, made no excuses, no argument ensued, and for good reason, because he was dead. 
been shot in the head about 12 hours earlier, was sitting upright, basically leaned over a little bit, but the policeman didn't even look, just gave the citation, got in the car, and drove off. Well, you and I need to understand that we've been saved. Those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, we've been given life in Jesus Christ. But people without Jesus are spiritually dead. They're in dead religions. They're serving false gods. They have no hope for the future. And Paul expressed it this way when he wrote in Ephesians 2. He said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. People can be religious and be spiritually dead. Even when Jesus was here on the earth and you read in the gospel, the religious leaders saw Jesus They saw him do miracles. They saw him heal a man who was paralyzed. They saw him um, heal a man who had a withered hand. And the next thing you know, they are plotting the death of Jesus. They were spiritually dead. You can be religious and still be dead, still be miserable. Dead men cannot give themselves life. There's no obvious, there there is an obvious difference between something that's lifeless and someone who is living. There's a huge difference between dead religion and life in Jesus Christ. We've all been religious. How do you know if you have spiritual life? Do you have a mark? No, it'd be nice if God gave us a tattoo. Maybe not, but it gave us, well, I wouldn't mind if it was a, a, the saved tattoo. I've been saved. God gave it to me. I had a mark to show hey, I've been saved. But you don't have that. How do you know that you have spiritual life? Well, how do you know you have physical life? I look around and <laughs> most of you look alive. I see some of you breathing. I see some of you smiling. You're, you have appetites. You're, you're probably warm to the touch. You've got blood flowing through you. But spiritually, there are some vital signs. There are things that show you that you're, that you're alive. First of all, you, you have a heart for the things of God. You love Jesus because he died for your sins. You, you have a hunger for God's word. You like to be with God's people. You, some, you struggle with sin that you didn't used to be concerned about. Now you're, you're concerned about it and don't want to do that anymore. And you're growing in the things of God. You experience the forgiveness of sins. See, becoming a Christian is not a, decision, it's not a matter of turning over a new leaf. It's not just a self-help program. It's not just resolutions. You go from death to life in Jesus Christ. No amount of persuasion can talk a spiritual corpse into spiritual life because dead sinners cannot understand God's truth. According to 1 Corinthians, they don't get it. God must give new life. And so when you turn from your sin and you ask God to forgive you and you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for you and rose again, God puts life into you. The Holy Spirit fills the void. You are now made spiritually alive, which then affects your mind, emotions, and will, your soul, and 
And one of these days, we're going to get a new body to go with that. So the, the, the process is completely reversed through Jesus. He gives you life. He didn't make you religious. He gives you life. You go from death to life. You also go from delinquency to forgiveness. Now, Paul stated two things that brought spiritual death. He said the first one is trespasses in verse 13. Dead in your trespasses. That is a word that means you sinned on purpose. You didn't accidentally sin. I accidentally did that. No, trespasses is not accidental. It, it points to intentional steps of a sinner to cross God's boundaries. Did, you, did anybody, uh, let me ask you this. Who taught you to sin? Who taught you? Some of you say my older brother <laughs> or my other sister. <laughs> you didn't have to be taught to sin. Because the second thing Paul, Paul says is because of the uncircumcision of your flesh. That reminds us that because Adam sinned, Romans 5 tells us that sin entered the entire world and we are born with a sinful nature. You inherited it. Nobody has to teach you to sin. We try to teach our kids not to because it comes naturally to us now. We are born in with a sinful nature. We are born with the capacity and the and it comes easy to us. The uncircumcision of your flesh is what he's talking about. Paul reminded the Gentile Colossians that, of this. And then in Ephesians, he told the Ephesians, you, the Gentiles, that they were at, time, at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. John Murray calls it the totality of pollution. He said, man is totally corrupt. Sin has taken possession of his whole being. The inmost springs of desire, disposition, and motive are corrupted or depraved. The source of intellectual, emotional, and volitional activity is enmity against God. Man is under the dominion of sins. So apart from Christ, we're spiritually dead because of our sins and because of our sin nature we got at birth. Nobody had to teach you. You can put a tuxedo on a pig and you know what that pig's gonna do? It's going back to the mud. Why? Because it's his nature. Well, you can put good deeds on a sinner. But that doesn't change his heart. You can put religion on a sinner. But they're gonna go back to sinning. The penalty, uh, uh, the good deeds in the world are not going to eradicate the charges because the penalty of our sin is death. And God cannot sweep our sin under the rug. If he did, he would not be just and holy and righteous. If he were not righteous and just, he would not be God. So what does he do? We're the delinquents. We are the ones who transpass, transgress and trespass. We're the ones who deliberately sin. What does God do? It says he has forgiven us all our transgressions. 
There's several words for forgive, but this particular one, I don't believe is a mistake. Obviously, there's no mistakes in the word of God. It's not an accident, it's what I meant. Paul uses the word forgive that's attached to grace. In fact, it has the word grace in it. And it means to forgive out of grace. Forgiveness comes only through God's action. You don't earn it. You can't buy it. You don't inherit it. God gives it by his grace. Isaiah 1.18 says, Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. David said in Psalm 32.1, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Forgiveness, folks, is a gift. God forgives you. It's a gift. And notice that God forgives you all your transgressions. All. Now listen, when you ask God to forgive you and you commit your life to Christ, you are washed in the righteousness of Jesus. You are forgiven all your sin. So when you stand before God one day, you're forgiven. Now, isn't that cool? I mean, that ought to excite you. I know a lot of you have heard this, but listen, the freedom you have standing before God through Christ, you've been forgiven of your sin. Do I still sin? Do you still sin? Well, your spouse said you did. Obviously we do. But 1 John 1, 9 is more about restoring fellowship with God, not salvation or relationship with God. I'm 42 years ago, married Laura, and I want you to know I've committed my life to her, and I want you to know we've never had a disagreement. Everything has been perfect. <laughs> Y'all see my nose growing? Like Pinocchio who's lying. Obviously, there have been times I've had to go to Laura and say, I'm, I'm sorry. Doesn't mean I have to get married again. It just means I, never, I renew the fellowship with her. Well, the same is with God. He has forgiven you all, all of your transgressions. Now, while I'm speaking about the forgiveness of God, I want to quickly let you fill in those blanks, but this is all about the forgiveness of God. I want you to think about this for a minute. First of all, God's forgiveness is unearned and undeserved. I've already told you that it's a free gift. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I didn't write this verse down for you, but if you might jot down Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. Listen to these verses. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
You don't earn forgiveness, God gives it. The second thing, God's forgiveness is unlimited and undivided. It's complete. God doesn't give you partial forgiveness. He doesn't portion it out or partial it out. He gives it completely. Ephesians 1.7 says it's according to the riches of his grace. And his grace abounds all the more. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, Romans 5.20. And John says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. 1 John 2.12. It's unlimited. You cannot out-sin God's forgiveness. The only sin not forgiven is rejection of his gift. God's forgiveness is unhesitating and unreserved. You don't have to beg God to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. Isn't that hard to believe? I mean, you think of all the sin in your life. Why would God want to forgive me? But Ezekiel 18, 23 says, this is God speaking. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live. And Psalm 86, 5, thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. God does not begrudge his forgiveness. It's unbelievable to me. Because you don't want to know, I'm just a sorry sinner. So are you. And it seems like, well, God would say, well, David, I'm going to forgive you, but really and truly, you don't deserve it. No, I know I don't deserve it, but he gives it to me anyway. A fourth thing, God's forgiveness is undeniable and unbiased. Acts 26, 18, God's forgiveness is certain. Paul says that God sent him to the Gentiles to, quote, open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in Jesus. Salvation, forgiveness is based on God's promise. And it's for everyone who will ask for it. Everyone, no one is denied if they come to him. It's hard for us to believe, isn't it? I thought you'd be a little more excited about for God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is also unequaled and unparalleled. Micah 7, 18, who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possessions? There is no other God like our God. There's no other God, period. But all of these people in other religions are afraid of their God. They're trying to appease him, trying to make sure that they're on the good side, they think, and they're hoping that they'll make it one day. But our God, he pardons our sin. It's unequal. There is, there's no other God like our God. And God's forgiveness is unmistakable and it's unleashing. Ephesians 4.32, God's forgiveness motivates us. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. To me, that's proof of God's forgiveness because he's asking us to forgive someone else for something they've done because he has forgiven us all our sin. 
He's asking us to do the same thing. That it's a confirmation of God's complete forgiveness. We, we had this huge debt that couldn't be paid and he forgave it. I don't know who wrote this, but I like this phrase. Law sentences a living man to death. Grace brings a dead man to life. <laughs> now that's good, isn't it? Let me say it again. I, I, wish I, had, I wish it was original with me, but it's not. Law sentences a living man to death, but grace brings a dead man to life. He's given us life. He has forgiven us. He's also taken us from debt to paid in full. Oh, this gets even better. In, in verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The handwriting of ordinances or the handwriting of requirements, this imagery comes from the ancient world of banking and finance. And if you were going to owe somebody something, you would write out the handwriting of the, all the requirements saying that you're going to pay this person back. They were obligated. Paul is also thinking of all the laws of Moses that were done away with through Jesus Christ. And we're going to look, touch on that next week. But, but the law which holds us accountable before God, the law of Moses was never intended to save anybody. It just showed us how corrupt we are because none of us could keep all of the law. And none of us have. But the good news is that through Jesus Christ, God has taken that handwriting of ordinances of our sin and has canceled it. He didn't just mark an X through it. You know, if you've ever had a contract that had an X marked through it, it, it said that it's been, it's been taken care of, but you could still read it. No, the, the imagery here is that God has blotted it out. You can't even read what used to be there. He's taken it away. He's separated our sin as far as the east from the west, as deep as the ocean. He has taken it away, blotted it out, canceled it, wiped it clean. Justified you just as if you'd never sinned. And how has he done it? He has taken it out of the way by having it nailed to the cross. Now, I've shared this with you before, and, and I know some of you will remember it, and some of you won't because you're new, and, and I'm not going to flatter myself to think you even remember what I said last week. But I want to remind you also that the imagery of the handwriting of ordinances was if you committed a crime or you didn't pay a debt and you were put into jail, they put that handwriting of ordinances on the door. It showed what you owed or what you had done and the, how it was paid or the time served or whatever. And whenever they, somebody paid it or you'd served your time for a crime, they opened that door, they would take that handwriting of ordinances and many times would write across it to Telestai. It is finished. They would give it to you and that person would carry that around. So that if anyone ever accused them again of that crime, they could pull it out and say, no, there's no double jeopardy here. This has been paid in full. Well, do you see the imagery here that when Jesus died on the cross and he cried out to Telestai, it is finished, that your sin and my sin were paid for. That's why Romans 8, 1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
The cross is the final word. Our choir sometimes sings. Christ paid it all. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let me show you something else. That word taken, and he has taken it out of the way. Perfect tense verb which says that at a point in time, he took it. And perfect tense means that the action is still ongoing. He still has it. He's taken it. He still got it. It still works. What Jesus did on Calvary still works today. We are forgiven, signed, sealed, and will be delivered one day. We are forgiven of our sins completely. He paid the debt we couldn't pay. And the word out of the way means that he's completely removed the law and having any claim over us. He's removed all of this debt we had. And I'm not talking about financial debt. I'm talking about spiritual debt you and I could never pay. We'd never have a, we'd never have a chance to get there. Next time you sing the song, Jesus paid it all. You need to think of this. Now, there's one other thing, and then we're going to go, and that ought to make you smile. We go from defeat to freedom. Having, verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers. The word disarmed means to literally strip a soldier of his weapons. Satan no longer has any power over you because Jesus stripped him of that power. The devil can't make you do anything. He might try to influence you. He might try to persuade you. He can't make you do anything because John said, greater is he that is in you and me than he that is in the world. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews 10 says. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now, this arming the principalities powers made a public spectacle of them. The picture is that of a Roman general who's just conquered in war and he brings back those who've captured. Maybe it's another general, maybe a leader, maybe the prisoners of war and they march through the city. The general's on his horse, the Roman general proud and all of these in shame are chained being taken through the streets showing that they have been defeated well the picture here is that we used to be in the realm of Satan and Jesus has not only defeated Satan but now Satan is the one who's being put on display as defeated now I want you to think with me of the last week of Jesus, there are three marches, if you want to call them that. 
The first one, we celebrate this on Palm Sunday when Jesus marched or rode into Jerusalem. It wasn't really a march, but it was like a parade. People were laying down palm branches and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a, a great day as Jesus came into, into Jerusalem. But then later that week, as Jesus was arrested and betrayed, he went on another march, didn't he? He marched to Golgotha, carrying a cross. People were spitting on him and yelling at him, and he was shamed because of sin, our sin, not his sin. And I can imagine Satan snickering, seeing Jesus being humiliated through the streets and thinking that he's been publicly shamed and that he's been defeated. This will be the end of him. And then, you know, that third march, that's listed right here because on the Sunday morning when Jesus rose again, guess who the triumphant one is putting on display Satan and all the demonic forces who've been stripped of their power and now they are publicly shamed, stating that they no longer have any dominion over you and me. So we went from slavery and defeat to freedom in Jesus. That's why Jesus said, you should know the truth. The truth will set you free from dead religions, and false gods. First John 3, 8, John said, he who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Hebrews 2, 14, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Have you ever heard anybody say Satan is alive and well? You know what the true statement is? Satan is alive, but he ain't been well since Calvary. <laughs> We've gone from defeat to freedom. You see why I like those three verses? Alive, forgiven, victorious. There are a lot of religious people in the world, and some of you may be watching today online or you're here in, pre in person and you're religious. Take it from one who knows. I grew up in the preacher's home. People say, well, I was there every time the doors were open. I could tell you, I was there when the doors were closed because we had the keys. But I can also tell you that you can be religious and still not have life because it only comes through faith in Jesus. I was baptized as a kid. That didn't save me. It's when I could place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you're watching online or you're here in this room, you can give your life to Christ right now. You don't have to be part of our church. You have to be part of Jesus you ask God to forgive you and remember all I just told you. It's complete, it's free, it's unearned. He's eager, he wants to forgive you if you place your faith in him. And you believe that Jesus died a sinless life 
for our sin. God put your sin, my sin on him. He died, physically died. He rose again, defeating death, conquering death. And when you place your faith and trust in him, you'll be saved. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Heavenly Father, I pray for those within the sound of my voice, whether it's through technology or here in this room, that don't know you. Would you open their eyes right now to see their lostness, to see that they have no spiritual life. And Lord, we know your spirit will do that. He will convict us of our sin and our separation from you. And I pray that even now, people are responding to you. Asking for your forgiveness, placing their faith and trust in you as Savior and Lord, committing their life to you. Lord, I I thank you for salvation. Thank you for reminding us. We need a reminder of what you have done on the cross for us. I pray for those that may have sin in their life that needs to be confessed to you to restore the fellowship with you. I pray for those that need to be saved. Lord, if you want to bring some to this church, you bring them. It's your church. But I pray that even now people would respond to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.